This message was presented at the GYC 2010 No Turning Back Conference in Baltimore, Maryland. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Father in heaven, Lord, this morning we come before you. And as we are here, we thank you for the opportunity. Many of us have come near and far, and we thank you for safe travels. Lord, as we take a few minutes a few moments this morning and and look at the subject of video games, Father. We ask that that you will give us open hearts and open minds and and, and that that you impress upon our hearts what you would like us to do for this time as, as we all believe we are in the last moments of this earth's history, Father. Thank you for hearing our prayer. I pray that you would be with my tongue, that you would calm my mind, and that you'd be with each individual mind here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Artificial atmosphere. What is artificial? Fake, not real. And what is the atmosphere? It's an environment. So when we put those two words together, what do we conclude? It's a fake environment. In the Garden of Eden, there was a perfect environment. The atmosphere was completely perfect. It was almost just this sphere of perfection. And then there was this little problem that entered. What was that little problem? Sin. And completely destroyed this perfect environment, this perfect atmosphere. And since then, uh, I believe Satan has tempted man to recreate some perfect environment. And man has tried really hard to create an environment that is utopian in nature. And have we succeeded? No, because there's that one little tiny problem called sin. And it has prevented us from creating a perfect, real environment. And and instead, we've created a fake, artificial atmosphere, an artificial environment. You think you are in control, but you're not. Let's see here. Oh, there we go. Starting this off, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 3, page 476 states, Am I in the way for you guys over here? Can you guys see the screen okay? Yes, audioverse. Yes. Uh, This gentleman was asking if it's visual, and I will make a plug now for Little Light Ministries. These are on video uh, at our booth. All right. You need to be alarmed. Sin is among us, and it is not seen to be exceedingly sinful. The senses of many are benumbed by the indulgence of appetite and by familiarity with sin. We need to advance nearer to what? Heaven. We're on a journey. We're advancing heavenward. So the objective of today's meeting, this, this session is to show that video games have links to idolatry and fiction, to give counsel regarding these two concepts, to show how some of these the most popular games counterfeit Christ's character and the biblical narrative, and how should Christians relate to this media format, video games. So some of this may seem obvious, but we want to look at these issues. How many people recognize this logo? Every hand should go up. 
This has been one of the biggest staples household names in the video game industry and any kind of toy in the last 20, 30 years, Nintendo. It has been, it, I would almost, it'd be safe to say, for the most part, the industry standard for, for gaming and, and, and video game uh, consoles and, and everything dealing with video game entertainment. Now, there's, there, of course, there's other brands, other um, companies out there, but the most popular one, in my humble estimation, is Nintendo. Well, what, let's learn a, just a fraction of a time about Nintendo. So the word Nintendo, some of the definitions, it comes from heaven, or luck comes from heaven. And actually, the foundation of Nintendo, when it actually organized and came together, was in 1889. Does any of that date around that time sound familiar to anybody? Okay. In 1888, there was a peculiar message, a very special message. Anybody help me out here? What was that message? Christ our righteousness, righteousness by faith. This message is the message that is to be preached to the whole world. And as Seventh-day Adventist-believing Christians or Bible-believing Christians, this message is going to usher in what? The second coming of Christ. And so it's interesting how Nintendo arrives allegedly from the heavens one year later. And, of course, it didn't start as video games then. It started as playing cards, and then they had what is called love hotels. And uh, it's not quite a brothel, but not quite a hotel, if you know what I mean. So, video games. There's pros. There is pros. So we're not here to completely bag video games. But let's look at a few of those pros. Hand-eye coordination is increased with video game play. Puzzle-solving skills are increased. Useful for training airline pilots and trained professionals like soldiers. In fact, a lot of the robotics that are used in, in, in modern warfare, they actually use, they hardwire an actual Xbox controller or PlayStation because a lot of the soldiers that grow up in this video game era are very familiar with the controllers. So why not? Let's just give them what they're used to. Used by psychologists to help people overcome phobias. Um, when we were, as, as we were putting together this Battlefield Hollywood documentary, we, Tom Scott and I interviewed a, a, a physician down at um, the Veterans Hospital at UCLA. And they've created this whole virtual reality 3D simulation where they take Vietnam vets and they put them in this, this simulated atmosphere. And while they're in this atmosphere, they hear the same sounds they heard back in Vietnam. They're, a lot of the smells are there. They actually give them a, 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 a gun that has the same weight as an M16 or M60, and they relive this same process. And so they cope with these, uh, the, the post-traumatic syndrome. Well, that's pretty much it for the pros. But what about the cons? Wasted time on average is... 13, sometimes upwards of 100 hours per week. On average, a game takes about 30 to 40 hours to complete, if you're good. Me, I, I loved video games, but I was not good at them. So it, I, I would probably fall under the 100-hour category. Wasted money. Average game is around 30 to $50, more on the $50 range. Modern Warfare, 
The, the latest one earned, uh, gained a billion dollars in just over a month and a half. Can you imagine that? One billion dollars in almost two months. Oh, and of course, they, they, they have gamer grub. Supposedly, you can boost your game with vitamins and neurotransmitters if you spend money on this particular gamer grub. So it's a viable option to be a video gamer. Anxiety and stress is heightened. Strained relationships. Families are broken. Uh, uh, husbands and wives are divorced over these issues. Uh, it's just it's not a good situation. Here's a little video. How many people have heard about the, the man um, in Japan that married this woman? Okay. In for a treat. She is the perfect woman, luscious, lovely, devoted, and entirely portable. It's why Sal says he loves Nene Anegasaki, this character in a game called Love Plus on his Nintendo DS player. Can you love a machine? I love to this character, not machine. Sal, who goes by his virtual name, Sal9000, started playing Love Plus in September. The more you play, the more she demands your attention. So Sal nurtured his relationship, playing every single day, taking Nene with him everywhere, out on the town, even on vacation, here to the resort beaches of Guam. Then he decided to marry her, live webcasting the ceremony to thousands of attendees, both virtual and real. You're not really married to her, are you? I understand 100% that this is a game, says Sal, pointing out it's not a legal union, and he likes the tongue-in-cheek humor of his marriage. You don't have to buy her dinner, ever. <laughs> but as I played third wheel on their dinner date, Sal says he doesn't want a real girlfriend. You would dump Nene for the real girl. I only want Nene right now, says Sal. She's better than a human girl. Sal 9000 says his marriage to Nene is just the next step in video gaming, a new way to integrate, if you will. But sociologists say that blurring between the virtual and the real world means less human contact. And that's where the danger begins. Japan's internet world has moved beyond Facebook, Twitter, or online games. Relationships and marriages to avatars are now a part of the virtual world. Sal is not that extreme, says author Hiroshi Ashizaki, who studies game and internet addiction. Many of today's Japanese youth can't express their true feelings in reality, only in the virtual world. It's a trend Ashizaki says has no sign of slowing down, as the entire globe socializes more online and less in person. New outfit. So she changes clothes. Yeah. And we play games too, says Sal. How long can this go on? How long can your marriage to her go on? The purpose of this game is to enjoy your romantic relationship, says Sal. Since there's no ending to this game, he says, you can continue this game forever. Young Law, CNN, Tokyo. Wow. Are any of us that obsessed? And this is normal for a lot of people. Creating an artificial atmosphere where you're going out and you're actually marrying your computer. That's a little beyond me. Okay. 
Addictive personality and disorders can develop. Again, we're talking about the cons of video games, the downside, and it affects the brain. Well, when we look at the addictive personality and disorders that can develop, we need to understand how are video games addictive? How do they create that addictive craving to continue to play? How can somebody play 13, 14, 50, 100 hours at a time playing video games? The way video games are constructed, they have uh, you know, multiple elements that make them addicting, but also it's based on B.F. Skinner. How many people are aware of B.F. Skinner, the psychologist? Okay, he created, for those that don't know, he created a, a box that had a few contraption and devices in it, and when he either took a pigeon or a rat, and, and once those animals were in there, there was a couple lights and a lever. And out of curiosity, the, the rat or pigeon would, would either peck or with his, its foot paw the lever, and it would release food. Of course, that started to train the brain of the animal, and all of a sudden, over time, when the light would go green or whatever color it was, the animal would be trained to push the lever. And, and, and you see that reward was given when the light would go off. And then, and then they would try uh, maybe not food every single time, and so there was kind of this um, in, intermittent uh, reward. Can you think of an industry that banks on reward and reinforcement? Lottery, gambling, exactly. How many people, I mean, would, would gambling be successful and addicting if you won, well, it may be addicting, but if you won a million dollars every time you pull the lever? It probably would not be a viable industry. Well, here's a little, this is a, a commercial for a video game, and it's playing on this whole reward and reinforcement. It's actually very humorous, but it, it's, it's kind of telling you right in your face what it's doing. Hey guys, we're all on the same team. Come on, we can come up with something. Yeah, uh, Bill. Uh, Joel. Um, why don't we do like a multi-tier thing where we get like uh, easy missions, we start with them, right, and get decent rewards, and then maybe the missions get progressively harder and harder, and then we get, uh, you know, better and better rewards. Interesting. Interesting? What team are you on? I like the start. The missions start easy. How about they get progressively easier, and I get all the rewards up front. But why would the player continue to play the rest of your missions if they've already got all the loot on the first one? Because I'm awesome. <laughs> so as we all know, the basic uh, concept of video games is you play through different levels. Level two is harder than level one, and, and so forth until you beat the game. And when you're going through the game, through the different stages, whether it's, it's uh, Mario Brothers, Castlevania, or even, yes, Farmville, for you Facebookers, you have to gain certain uh, rewards or certain uh, tasks to gain the rewards to advance. And, uh, of course, that's what makes it, one of the elements that makes it so addicting. As Tom kind of, uh, oops, we have a blank slide there, a little bit in the last talk, and, and we want to keep bringing this up, that the way the mind works, it has four gears, uh, data, th uh, theta, alpha, and beta. Now, as Tom was talking about, when we watch television, in 30 seconds or less, your mind switches over to alpha brainwave pattern, which is a semi-hypnotic state. The same is with video games. You switch into this semi-hypnotic state, and if you've ever noticed, if somebody's intently playing video games, have you ever tried to carry a conversation with them? 
Men are the worst. So first of all, we can't even multi, you know, multitask to begin with. But you throw video games in the mix, and we're completely uh, uh, lost on that point. But they did a, a study in Japan on this whole concept. Said a, a survey conducted by Akio Mori, a professor at Nikon University College, uh, he found that the longer people st spent playing video games, the less activity they showed in the prefrontal region of their brains, which govern emotions and creativity. What is even more worrying is that, according to the study, brain activity in the people who continually played games did not recover in the periods when they were not playing games. Translated, when they were done playing video games, their brain remained in alpha brainwave pattern. So we have a society, an artificial atmosphere of zombies walking around still in an altered state of consciousness. And that's very disturbing to me. And, we, and, and you, you've all heard of the controversy of violence. Is, is violence correlated with video games? Well, we become so numb to society's woes and, and, and violence and, and, and hate crimes because we're still in this hypnotic state. We play so many video games and watch so many movies, and we're not spending the time with Jesus that we can't hear that still, small voice. And so when these things happen over here, we could care less because we're still focused in and, and altered in a different state. The Review and Herald, March 13, 1900, Satan does not wish the people to have knowledge of God. If he can set in operation games and theatrical performances that will so confuse the senses of the young that human beings will perish in darkness while light shines all about them, he is well pleased. So what is idolatry? We know that it's, it's, it's uh, part of the second commandment. God said, thou shalt not have any graven images. Correct? Idolatry is attributing higher divine power to a lower creation in worship, such as gold or stone or any other object made by God, whether living or non-living. In Revelation 5.12, there are seven quote-unquote worships or attributes of worship. It says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. You see there are seven attributes of, 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 wor of worship. You have this tree called worship, and on this tree there's seven fruits. Power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessings. And they're all part of this whole worship mechanism. So in, in a practical sense... If I have strength, I should be using that strength to give God the glory. And also to help me play a video game, that's a form of idolatry. So if we're taking the strength that God gave us to ultimately glorify and worship Him, and we're using it to do something else, that's a form of idolatry. Because remember, when we worship anything other than God, that is a form of idolatry. Well, in Genesis 3, 1 through 3, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any other beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Ye hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God had said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. 
For God does know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and she did eat. So how does this play into idolatry? Well, Eve uh, attributed divine power to a piece of fruit. See, the devil tempted her that that fruit was going to give her some kind of power, some kind of strength, some kind of wisdom, if she only ate it. Believing at the serpent's suggestion that she could be transformed into a god. She was performing an idolatrous act by, first of all, believing and being deceived, but then actually partaking and wanting to be like God and having the wisdom like God. And, of course, we know uh, she was wrong in that thinking. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 through 7 and 14 says, Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Verse 7, Neither be idolaters as were some of them as it was written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And verse 14, Where, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. So Paul was even saying, flee from idolatry. And, and it's oftentimes we think idolatry is just worshiping some stone statue that took place 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago in ancient Greece or Rome. But is there idolatry worship today? Testimonies to the Church, Volume 3, page 324. Without hesitation or argument, we must close and guard the avenues of the soul against evil. What are the avenues to the soul? Our senses. And how many do we have? Five. We are to guard them very well. How many people know much about the voodoo doll? Okay, we all understand kind of the principle of voodoo doll. What happens when you prick the voodoo doll? Supposedly, you can, if you hurt the doll, you have put a curse on somebody else, and when you hurt that doll, you're hurting who? That person that you put a curse on. But when you distill it a little bit further, are you being the controller of that person's life? Are you dictating how that person feels and acts by hurting that doll? So you're using this medium, this format of a doll, and you're pricking it and you're hurting it, Therefore, you're controlling another person. The meaning of a voodoo doll is a type of remote control. In theory, according to voodoo beliefs, uh, which we know to be false, whatever I do to this doll will happen to the person I choose. But we also have forms of remote controls today. We have remotes for televisions. We have remotes to open cars and start cars. I have a remote to advance my computer screen. But it's very limited. I don't have complete control on the action. So when I turn on a television program or a movie, I'm watching the, 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 the movie program or the television program. I've activated that. I've, I've started that program. But I still don't have control over what happens in the scripted program. In order to have full control, to be 
Truly, to truly simulate this voodoo concept, you need to have control over what the people on the screen are doing, thus the controller. And in the video game model, it takes a step further from the, the movie and television watching because now, as a player, you have control over what that avatar or that character in the video game does. Whether it's the most occult uh, video game or whether it's, quote unquote, the harmless game, you have control of what that uh, character or thing in the video game does. You know, they're coming out with household versions of video cassette recorders. One day you'll be able to see old movies anytime you want. It'll be like having a movie theater in your own home. Really? It's like if you had a record with movie film etched onto it instead of music. It'll work the same way. You're kidding. No, really. And someday they might make movies where you control the characters yourself. Sounds like magic. It'll happen. Make sure you stay alive to see it, Snake. Okay, so this is an excerpt taken from a game uh, produced a number of years ago, or a few years ago. Uh, setting is the, the Cold, World, uh, Cold War um, that was taking place between the Soviet Union and the United States. But that concept, did you hear that, that in the future, people are going to control uh, peoples in movies and there's going to be some form of control? It's interesting, uh, a couple years ago, they came out with a movie called Gamer. How many people heard of this movie? Okay. The basic concept was there's this individual, you can kind of see him breaking through the, the first face, this kid that controls this individual via a video game system. And of course, Xbox was uh, the first to endorse it. One, uh, those of us that uh, maybe are very familiar with video games or maybe not so familiar with video games, we can all say that video games, there's a lot of occult themed video games. As you see here, Castlevania. Uh, this one, Death Smiles, which uh, is, is a very fascinating, uh, kind of scary game. Death Smiles, enter the world of uh, Gilverado, a kingdom plagued by hideous monsters and tortured souls. Choose from five angels uh, with unique demonic familiars and battle against a storm of enemies pouring out of hell's gates. So now you control these angels that are very familiar with the whole demonic realm. And, uh, you, of course, you have to fight uh, other demons, and it's all in the name of good. Um, of course, this is a pretty obvious one, Diablo. God of War. How many people have heard of God of War? Okay. Uh, did you guys hear about the release party? Those images are kind of small. But when one of the versions of God of War came out, they actually, uh, it's based on Greek mythology, and they actually had at the release party in Greece, they went through one of the, the, the rituals that they would do in ancient Greece, where they would sacrifice, and this is very occult, they would sacrifice a, a goat here, and then they gathered the blood and they passed the cup around. And of course they had uh, just the whole drunkenness and debauchery as part of this release party in honor of this game. But what about the innocent games? Because there's many games out there that, that come across and we view and think they're innocent. You know, I may not play uh, God of War, I may not play Diablo, I may not play all these other games, but what about these simple, innocent games? One of the most influential men in video games is Mr. Miyamoto. 
He is the creator of Super Mario, Star Fox, Legend of Zelda, Pokemon, etc. When we are playing these games, what is hidden? How many people have not heard of any of those games? Okay, a few. How many people have not heard of Super Mario? Okay, yeah. It came out when I was, when I was pretty young, and it was probably the coolest game, besides Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. <laughs> Super Mario was, was awesome. But here's a little video kind of on the, the initial creation of Mario and, and, and how it kind of transformed into this large icon. The small machines of a few years ago took a lot of ingenuity to bring the screen to life. Because originally he was made of only 16 pixels, we were pretty cramped in what we could do. His hair was only three pixels. Since that wasn't enough to make it fly up properly when he jumped, gave him a cap. And in order to make him seem to run fast, we needed to make his arms very visible. So they had to be a different colour from his body, so we put him in overalls. It's not easy to escape from the humdrum everyday world. I often get bogged down in it. But there's a shrine near here dedicated to a fox god. And this fox god can fly. So I had the idea of making a fox that could fly through arches. Star Fox, the last little bit of that clip, if you couldn't hear, uh, the creator, Mr. Miyamoto, had based that game Star Fox off this Greek, excuse me, this Japanese Shinto god, this little idol. And if you notice, it's, it's, it's so similar how they have the, the red scarf and the stance of, of everything. And the Shinto fox was a god messenger of Inari. He was almost like an angel, so to speak, and would bring in these messages and, and all these, this information to this god. So this god is based on a real breed of fox. It is used as inspiration for these games, just to name a few. Um, Star Fox, Sonic the Hedgehog, Legend of Zelda. We see here, you can see this character, if those that played Sonic the Hedgehog, and also in Legend of Zelda, he pops up in that game. And so when we, when we look at these games that seem so innocent, what is the root of these characters? And effectively, if, if, if we are playing and, and, and adoring these certain games and characters, are we adoring, in fact, this idol that so many people have bowed down to worship? And is that affecting us? See, so many kids, as Tom was saying, that our critical thinking, our frontal lobes, aren't developed to at least 20. How much is that affecting and, and sitting in their subconscious when they potentially may not fully understand what's going on. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, But we all, with open face, beholding as a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So by beholding, we, we do what? We become changed. By beholding, we become changed. Through formed in the image of his Maker, man can so educate his mind that sin, which he once loathed, will become pleasant to him. As 
he ceases to watch and pray, he ceases to guard the citadel, the heart, and engage in sin and crime. The mind is debased and it is impossible to elevate it from corruption. While it is being educated to enslave the moral and intellectual powers and bring them into subjection to grosser passions. Constant war against the carnal mind must be maintained and we must be aided by the refining influences of the grace of God, which will attract the mind upward and habituate uh, it to uh, meditate upon pure and holy things. So this may be referring to actual violence and, and, and sin, open sin that we're partaking in, but as we're going through this process of, of being a controller, of controlling somebody else doing these actions, when we see other people that go as far as wanting to marry somebody on a computer screen, how does that fit into this equation? By beholding, we become changed. By beholding little Mario attack certain little elements, by beholding these demonic occult themes do certain things, are we being changed into that same process? And are we being numbed to violent acts in the real world? Well, how did uh, he come up with Super Mario? You realize that Super Mario, or excuse me, Mario, at one point was more familiar across the world than Mickey Mouse. That's how popular this little character is. Having rigorously analyzed what exactly made people want to play one more time, I sketched out ideas for five games. At this point, Nintendo was the licensee for Popeye. I asked if I could make a game using Popeye. Um, the basic concept of Popeye is that there is the hero and his rival who manages to turn the tables on with the aid of spinach. It's identical to Pac-Man. What does Pac-Man do? He gobbles, he, he gobbles around, and he has these ghosts that chase him, but he has an edge on these ghosts every once in a while. When? When he eats that special little dot, if you will. Just like Popeye. When he eats spinach, he has the edge on, on Brutus. It started with a simple idea. I thought, I wonder what it would be like to have a character that bounces around and the background should be a clear blue sky. I took the idea to a programmer and we started working on it. Mario ended up being too big, so we shrank him. We saw that from the, the last video. Then we thought, what if he can grow and shrink? How, how would we do that? It would have to be a magic mushroom. Where would, the mush where would a mushroom grow? In a forest. We thought of giving Mario a girlfriend, and then we started talking about Alice in Wonderland. So you're starting to see these links. We have Popeye, Pac-Man, Alice in Wonderland, Mario Brothers. How are they all connected? Well, if we draw a, a simple diagram here, we have Popeye, Olive, uh, the spinach, which gives him his power to get stronger to defeat his, uh, his enemy. Mario. We have the male hero character. We have the distressed female Peach, and we, he has to eat a mushroom to grow bigger. And when he grows bigger, he's stronger, ability to jump higher and conquer more enemies. And ultimately, he fights this dragon-like character in the end. Bowser, as we know him, or Koopa. And in Pac-Man, same thing. Uh, the male character, then there's Miss Pac-Man. And then he eats those special dots, and he can defeat the little ghosts. You see, movies and video games are very similar. Have you ever heard that in, in, in the film industry there's only really five scripts that all the movies out there are based on? 
The same is with video games. I don't know how many scripts there are with video games, but there's only a few. And you can just keep repackaging the same story and people will buy it. You just put a different flair here and there and people will go buy the same uh, video game or movie. John 14, 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto me, or unto the Father, but by me. So all these characters are using these other means of gaining truth and access to greater and bigger things, but Christ says that he is the only way. John 8, 44 says, Ye are of your father the devil, and lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan is the father of fiction. Can we say that fiction is what? It's a lie. It's not real. Anything that is not of the truth is the opposite of truth. And so when I, tell, when I, when, when I decide not to tell you the truth, I'm deciding to lie to you. We can also say that is fiction. What is fiction? The readers of fiction are indulging in an evil that destroys spirituality and eclipsing the beauty of the sacred page. We have in our possession a book that is alive. How many people believe the Word of God is alive? That is a breathing organism that revives the person and enables them to overcome sin. Amen? Fiction cannot do that. In fact, I think there's only one book that can bring life to the Christian or to the human, and that is the Word of God. But it's, as, as, as the, the, the pen of inspiration says, that even fiction destroys spirituality. Well, here is a little bit of fiction from the beginning. Eve ate the fruit at the suggestion of the serpent. The serpent said, eat the fruit and you will be empowered. Alice ate a mushroom at the suggestion of a caterpillar. And Mario eats mushroom under the control of the player. But what was the result? In the, real, in the real world, the real life application, Eve was told the fruit would make her like God. It didn't happen. It was fiction. But on the flip side, Alice is told the mushroom will make her taller. And this does happen. The Mario, when he eats the mushroom, he becomes Super Mario. This happens. So it's taking fiction and it's glamorizing it, saying that it is possible for everything. The result, Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. Alice is condemned to death by the Red Queen, but rebels and lives. And Mario fights a dragon named Koopa who is trying to kill him and wins the battle. Do you know that Koopa, when translated to English in some versions, do you know what Koopa means? means the great demon king. And so you're starting to see, and we're going to start to advance in this direction, you're starting to see a lot of biblical spiritual ties to movies and to video games. And especially in Mario, you start to see a connection with biblical narratives and biblical themes. But first, we start to see a, a flipping of biblical truths. Popeye, again, we, we looked at these, this chart, but at the end when we plug in Adam and Eve and, and, and their little quote-unquote power-boosting element, did it make them God? No. It went against God's principles and it had the reverse effect. So all these other elements, Popeye, 
uh, Mario, Pac-Man, when they eat these elements, when they're told that they are gonna, they're gonna make, be made into a super human or super entity, it's almost like taking the biblical truth and it's flipping them upside down. And it's ingraining in young people's minds, by doing this, you can achieve this. By playing this video game so much, it's going to achieve certain things in your mind, and it's ingraining uh, uh, almost a Gnostic view of biblical narratives. These stories have elements that are counterfeit uh, of the biblical narrative, like we just said. No effort should be spared to establish right habits of study. If the mind wanders, bring it back. If the intellectual and moral tastes have been perverted by overwrought and exciting tales of fiction so that there is a uh, disinclination to apply the mind, there is a battle to be fought to overcome this habit. A love for fictitious reading should be overcome at once. Rigid rules should be enforced to hold the mind in the proper channel. Who is the greatest enemy that we fight? Self. And when addiction takes place, it's when the mind has complete control over the body. So when we are addicted, when we, when we follow these fictitious stories, what is that taking us away? How is that taking us away from the sacred page? How is that taking us away from Jesus? And as we're admonished, as we're told, we need to be diligent and we need to, to, to spend time having God bring us back into harmony with him. Because these fictitious stories are so detrimental. And we may not think of it, we may not think that it's, it's, it's of any harm, but if we are on the sanctified walk towards heaven, these little bumps turn into mountains pretty soon we can't see the face of Jesus anymore. And it starts with a little character. Well, the serpent's primary lies, ye shall not surely die, and second, ye shall be as gods. A staple of most games is that you don't really die because you can acquire extra lives uh, which resurrect when you make a mistake. How many, uh, how many understand that in the video game world? You know, you can get Game Genie or whatever there is, and you can get a million lives. Or you can get the game cheats like I used to do because I couldn't beat it on my own. And you can just get infinite, uh, you know, infinite lives and never die. And essentially, that's what the video game teaches you. You will never die. But what about Mario? Going back to Mario, how is that like a god? Or how is that worshiping a god? And how did Mario, in fact, Become a god. If we look back to um, elements of Egypt, Egyptology, the plague of the frogs. The Egyptians believed in a frog god called Hekep. Thus, judge, excuse me. Thus, God judged their idolatry by sending a plague of frogs. Down there in the lower right, if you can see it, there was this frog god. And uh, this particular god was the goddess of fertility. Thus. Uh, it, it instituted a cult, a sex cult. Very much in Mario, there's much the, the themes of uh, Egyptology. And Mario becomes like a god. He puts on a frog suit, and now he, can, he has certain powers. 
This is very fascinating. I, I, I forgot to mention in the beginning, uh, my associate, uh, Chris Covedo, he, he's actually the one that should be giving this presentation. But uh, he has done an amount, a huge amount of research. And he put a lot of, the majority of these, uh, the research and finding together. And he came across this one called the 10 Koopamints. Did that ring a bell to anybody? The 10 Koopamints. Koopa is this, this great demon king, if you will, that Mario fights against. And here's a little, it was a cartoon, the Mario cartoon. It's very fascinating. Plumber's Law, number 1000 BC. We've arrived in Pyramid Land, where we've heard the mushroom people were in real trouble. King Koopa had appointed himself Pharaoh and was forcing everyone to live by a set of evil laws. Look, it's Koopa's ten commandments. Commandment number one, thou shalt give Koopa all your gold coins. Commandment number two, thou shalt hire no plumbers. Mamma mia, look at commandment number six. Thou shalt eat no pasta. <laughs> this time, that crummy Koopa's gone too far. So as to a young developing mind that may be sitting watching this cartoon, they're not going to start to understand the biblical flipping of this. You see the ten uh, laws that uh, King Koopa put are even in the shape of the ten commandments that we know of. And he even starts, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. So what happens with a young person that grows up watching this, playing this, he comes across the biblical ten commandments and says, wait a minute. I watched something when I was little that told me that that was bad. And we think that playing a little Mario and Luigi is okay. But if they're all tied together, they're all of the same family. It's not like this one's distinct from this one. They all run together. Oh, and and speaking of cartoons, I just want to make a plug. Uh, My associate Scott, who is, be praying for him, He's giving a talk. He was supposed to give one now, but to uh, technical difficulties, he's uh, uh, actively working to get reconstruct the slides, but he's doing a talk called Magic Kingdom, dealing with uh, the, the modern phenomenon of cartoons in today's society. You don't want to miss it. But Mario is also a Shinto god. Can you believe it? Okay. Censored for obvious reasons, Snooki, a god of gluttony, boozing, and rest, uh, restauranteurs, is a, a shape-shifting magic dog. So in the occult world, demons are known to be able to shape-shift, ta- uh, take different forms, much like vampires. That's a whole other subject, the whole vampire phenomenon. But this particular god can shape and shift into different forms um, as a god. He resembles a raccoon, but in reality, he is a real breed of dog native to Japan. Uh, And here is a little, uh, should be on the censored side, but the genitals of the tanuki are often engorged to show that he has been oversexed. Often idols of tanuki have have an outstretched hand, meaning that they spend all their money and are begging for more. So we see Mario, he puts on the little raccoon's uh, outfit. And Mario can turn into the shape-shifting god and even replicate 
uh, into a replicate of the idol. His idol form gives him temporary invincibility. And we see down here at certain points of the game, he becomes a solid statue, which he's invisible. And if you notice, he has the outstretched hand begging for money. So as we take a little bit of a diversion here, we've been talking about Mario. What video game character is being described? But let's look, uh, not, not Christ, but who is going to resemble Christ? He started his life as a car uh, carpenter. He came from another world. These are all attributes of Jesus. Put down his carpenter tools to take up a new profession, one in the whole process of redemption for you and I. Began exhibiting abilities beyond human. He started raising people from the dead, turning water to wine, all power given from God. The object of his affection was a woman wearing a crown, his bride, the church. A fiery dragon attacks the woman, and there we see this whole great controversy taking place. The man saves the woman on the back of his trusted seed. We see in Revelation how when Christ comes to redeem his bride, the woman. <clears throat> Can you guys guess? Any guesses? Mario. Is Mario a counterfeit or ripoff of Jesus Christ? Well, in Mario, originally, he was chosen to be a carpenter. We know him, uh, most often we know him as a plumber, but he started out as a carpenter. An effort to reflect that as a character, he was ordinarily a hard worker. He later became a plumber. Mario came from another world. As we just said, Mario left his, that profession for plumbing at the suggestion of the Nintendo design team. Mario began to exhibit abilities that are beyond human, like flight or shape-shifting into animals. When he ate the mushroom, he could jump or he could grow bigger. When he put on that tanuki suit, he could do uh, certain things, or the frog suit. The object of Mario's affection is who? A woman, Peach, wearing a crown. A fiery dragon attacks the woman. Mario has to save her. Mario saves the woman on the back of his trusted steed, Yoshi. Revelation 1.16 says, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. This absolutely floored me. You know, when, when Chris was starting to share this, this, this comparison between Mario and Jesus Christ, I was like, hey, that's, you know, that's, that's pretty similar. And he started to show me other biblical analogies. We know that the book of Revelation is the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. This next picture absolutely floored me. This was a game uh, for Super Nintendo. Super Mario RPG, Legend of the Seven Stars. In it, we have, in this picture, seven stars. We have a two-edged sword. We have a beast with two horns from Revelation 13. We have the woman of Revelation, whether it was the, the bride, the pure woman, or the, the whore. And, of course, we have this Italian Roman former carpenter, the counterfeit of Christ, all packaged in this one game.
Has anybody seen this picture? Okay. Who is this supposed to be? Mary and who? Jesus. Okay. Here is a, a, an enthusiast. This next picture. Princess Peach holding Mario as a savior. Can you guys see that in the back? This game is intended for children, but contains scenes similar. I didn't read the, re uh, the rest of that. So is this, in fact, demonic possession? The official Japanese name of the character is Assistant Witch. So in this scene, the, there were so many complaints that this portion was so hard and that players couldn't beat it, so they, the, the creators make it so um, Mario just almost becomes possessed, and he starts, I mean, you literally put the controller down, and it starts going by itself when he gets uh, possessed, so to speak, as you saw from the beginning. Um, this was actually just put in literally right before I went up. This was uh, found by Chris's cousin, and uh, very fascinating. Abigor, who is this Gota Mendez, this uh, Baphomet character, gets the keys to Wario's home. This is also a character from Mario Brother. This is taken from a comic book in Germany. And in fact, a lot of the, the Mario propaganda, literature, comic books that came to America were very censored. So if you went to any other country, you would see the real deal uh, you know, for its, what it really is. So anyway, this comic book, uh, Mario's watching here uh, with one eye there, and then Wario is making a deal with this demon-type character. And uh, the symbology sh should speak volumes. He's getting the keys to Wario's home, and uh, as you can see, I, I don't know why they're in there, but on the top right, there's uh, the demonic doll Chucky, and uh, there's Jason from Friday the 13th. And then a few slides down in, in the comic book, there's, picture, there's imagery of, of uh, Freddy from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. And of course, all these other kind of demonic monsters. So what is that doing in a program that is designed for kids? And are we supporting this machine? By thinking, okay, I'm going to get Wii. As a parent, I'm going to buy the Wii for exercise and for my kid. I don't want to get him some occult, but I'm going to get him Mario Brother. By throwing money at Mario Brother Galaxy, are we effectively perpetuating and supporting this? And if that is the case, where does our allegiance lie? If we can have one foot in the Christian church and one foot in Mario Land... How does that translate? Can they coexist together? Logically, no. So why do we do it? And are we giving our keys to somebody other than God? Are we allowing, giving our keys willingly over to the devil to come into our home? 
Are we bringing game systems into our home that have nothing to do with Jesus Christ? And as we're looking, are, and in fact, a counterfeit into our home. And so when we play these games and we go to certain seminars and we hear uh, Pastor Mark Finley or we hear Taj and we, we listen to these powerful sermons, but they do not stick in our mind because our mind is still here. We need to cut this off if we're going to continue our sanctified walk. Psalms 101 verse 3 says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. And lastly, Testimonies for the Church, volume 7, page 64. Say firmly, I will not spend precious moments in reading that which will be of no profit to me and which only unfits me to be of service to others. I will devote my time and my thoughts to acquiring a fitness for God's service. I will close my eyes to frivolous and sinful things. My ears are the Lord's, and I will not listen to the subtle reasonings of the enemy. My voice shall not in any way be subject to a will that is not under the influence of the Spirit of God. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and every power of my being shall be consecrated to worthy pursuits. Wow, if that wasn't a creed. My appeal to you is this. If we are claiming to be Christians, if we're claiming to be Seventh-day Adventist Christians, should we take it seriously? Should we take that profession to the next level? And do we have any business with fictitious tales? And in this context, of course, it's talking about reading because there was no such thing as movies or video games of the nature we have today, but it still can be applied. And so my appeal to you, think of these things carefully. And as you glean different things from GYC, it's such a powerful time to be here. As we're learning uh, to, to get a closer view of Jesus, let's implement these things in our lives that we can uh, advance further on this road towards heaven. Amen? I ask that you bow your heads with me in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Lord, we love you so much, and we want to be your children. We desire to be your children as you have called us. Lord, there's many things in our lives, in my life personally, that are unfit, that, that, that uh, potentially are going to bar me from your kingdom, Father. Lord, we pray that you will make those things plain to us, that you will give us the desire, that you will give us the will to surrender it on your altar. And that you will give us the victory and the strength to put these things away, Lord, as we are advancing forward to heaven, as time is about to close. We pray that you will help us to make the decisions for that in which will take us into your kingdom. That you will seal us with not only your spirit, Father, but with your character. Lord, this is our prayer, this is our request, and this is what we plead, Father. We pray this in Christ's precious name. This message was produced by GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. GYC seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians in contemporary contexts. To download or purchase other resources like this, or if you have been blessed by GYC and would like to donate, visit gycweb.org or email info at gycweb.org. You could also reach us via mail at P.O. Box 
3786 Ann Arbor, Michigan 48106. This recording is licensed under Creative Commons. This means you can copy and share it with anyone you like. Please attribute this recording to GYC wherever you reuse it. And keep in mind that resale and alteration are strictly prohibited.